August can be a sleepy time in government. Members of Congress scatter to their home states or exotic destinations to see industry up close or hot spots for themselves. The legislature is usually long gone too. In Arizona, it's back to school or off to cooler climes to avoid some of the summer sun. But in Peoria this year, August was when things really got hot for the city council. That's when they tried, but failed, to keep the public from viewing a bizarre, closed-door battle over a sex offender, the vice mayor, and figuring out what rules they needed to follow and which ones they could ignore. Welcome to The Gaggle, a weekly politics podcast from the Arizona Republic and azcentral.com. I'm your host, Ron Hansen. I cover national politics for the Republic. Mary Jo Pitzel is out this week. This week, we're talking about the clash between the Peoria City Council and their vice mayor, Danette Dunn. Joining us to talk about what's going on in Peoria is Taylor Seeley. She covers the city for the Arizona Republic. Taylor, welcome back to The Gaggle. Thank you. This story seems like layers of a mess. So let me see if I've got this right. Danette Dunn, the city's vice mayor, is discovered to have a convicted sex offender staying in her home for a time, and the offender didn't identify Dunn's residence as his, as he was required to do. After that became known, the city council asked for Dunn's resignation. She refused to resign, and this standoff continues. Is that about it? Yeah, that, that's about it. Those are the basics. Um, the timeline, I would say, is really chaotic. The way I have been thinking about this story is sort of in three chapters. The first chapter beginning a couple weeks ago when the city decided to schedule this executive session. And for listeners who aren't aware, executive session is a legally allowed confidential meeting. So when you enter into those meetings... Uh, the city will give a very limited explanation of what the meeting is about. And then the council members and anyone who's part of that meeting legally cannot say anything about what was discussed. So when Peoria scheduled their executive session, they said that they were going to discuss the employment status, including potential discipline or resignation of a city member. And then it said pertaining to a member of city council. And this was a little bit odd because usually, you know, I was speaking to uh, an attorney at the ombudsman's office. That state statute is usually used for like city managers or city employees. It's not typically a statute cited to discuss a uh, sitting elected official's status because they're not really considered employed, they're elected. But nonetheless, they said that's what they were going to discuss. Vice Mayor Danette Dunn had received a notice the day before it laid out basically the bare bones explanation that the rest of the public got, but it told her if you want to discuss this matter in public, you legally have a right to do so. She was confused, she told me. She still didn't totally understand if it really was about her, but she figured, okay, it it must be. So anything you have to say about my employment status, I guess, you can say it in public. So she demanded that it happen in public. So I consider that sort of the first chapter of the story. The second chapter of the story then being the next week, the mayor and city council send her a letter asking her to resign. 
with no explanation other than to say, you know, for the good of the city, for the reputation of our city council, please resign. What has the council done to clarify its thinking throughout this process? The reason to seek executive session in the first place or the decision ultimately to seek her resignation by way of a letter instead of a public hearing? I wish that I had a better explanation for that, honestly. They did point to the Peoria Police Department's report as grounds for why they requested Vice Mayor Danette Dunn resign, and I know we'll get into that, but they have not clearly laid out why they first went to executive session and then why they followed up with a letter before discussing this in a public setting. You know, like I said, Vice Mayor Danette Dunn asked to discuss this in public, and that was never granted to her, at least not yet. And then they went straight to asking her to resign through a letter and again with limited information. So why they took that route is very unclear. And I would love for the mayor to answer that question. How about the city's attorney? Has council clarified the council's thinking on all of this? They have not. Um, I have asked the city for interviews. I've asked to talk to the city manager, and I have gotten nothing in return. What do we know about the sex offender living with Ms. Dunn and why he was temporarily living with her in the first place? So Danette Dunn has a roommate. Her roommate has a son who is a registered sex offender. He was convicted in 1984 in California for forcible rape, pimping, and furnishing PCP to a minor. What Danette has said is that she has known full well about his convictions, knows that he is a registered sex offender, and essentially says the requirements that he has to report his status to whatever police jurisdiction, that is on him. That's not on me. I did nothing wrong here. I didn't even know that he was supposed to register my address. So that's kind of the first thing. The second thing is she says, you know, this is a family friend that I have known for decades. I've known his mother. This is my roommate's son. You know, when I travel and go out of town, she has every right to have her son come visit. Um, And she also maintains that this was intermittently occurring throughout the year. This wasn't like, you know, weeks long stretches at a time, but just basically, you know, him coming by. There is Another little element that she does like to talk about, which is that she had a neighbor who had some mental health issues, it sounds like, and had a history of harassing her. And, um, you know, she sent me some videos of that correspondence that she had with the Peoria Police Department going back years where, you know, this neighbor would just really bother her, flash flashlights into her house, come up to her, and he was convinced that she was filming him and just mentally unwell, clearly. And... She was afraid of him, and she had had police reports. You know, she had called the police to deal with the altercations. Recently, he died by suicide through self-immolation, and she points to that as evidence that, you know, I have a very violent man living with me or living by me for years. And so this sex offender who stayed with me made me feel safe. You know, if I was uncomfortable, if my roommate, who is his mother, was uncomfortable, yes, we had this man— He may be a sex offender, but we had him stay at my place because I felt unsafe. The sex offender was the person who had the legal obligation to report his residence. 
have authorities taken action against him for failing to identify his residence? They investigated him, and then they ultimately let him off with a warning once they realized that he had moved into an extended-stay motel and had properly registered there. I do want to put out there, just for a little bit of clarification, there were, I think, some rumors swirling that he was an unregistered sex offender. Just to clarify, he was registered, and he was actually registered with Maricopa County as homeless. He maintains that that is true, that he is homeless, and, you know, he would stay with Dunn every once in a while. But I guess per state law, if you stay within one location for three days or more, doesn't have to be consecutively, but within a 30-day period, then you legally can't be considered homeless. So that was kind of what they said. He also had his driver's license and car registered to Dunn's house, which he told police he never actually asked her permission for. But nonetheless, they pointed to that and said, look, it's pretty obvious. You're staying here. This is improper. Apart from failing to notify the authorities of his residence, did he do anything else to violate the terms of his release? Not that I'm aware of. Did she have any obligation under the law to report his presence? I don't fully know if she had any obligation to report it. I do know that she says that she had no idea what the requirements were. She never figured it was on her And the Peoria Police Department, I confirmed, never investigated her. Danette Dunn, besides the fact that it was her house, you know, she was not really involved in the police report. So let's bring this back to the council then. How is it they became aware? Did she have any obligation to report this to the council? Did the police have any obligation? Did law enforcement have any obligation to report any of this to the city council? How did this come before them? That's another question I don't know the answer to. I know that the police got an anonymous tip in, I think it was July, and they investigated for about a month. And from what the vice mayor tells me, she was pulled into a meeting with the mayor. He told her, we know about this situation. We are afraid that political opponents of ours are going to get their hands on this and leak it to the press. It's going to make us look really bad. And this is a bad situation. And Dunn tells me that she said, okay, well, I don't think I did anything wrong. So what do you want me to do? And he said, well, I don't know. And next thing she knows, you know, there's an e-session and a letter calling for her to resign. So asking for a resignation is a pretty drastic step, especially for somebody who is a member of the council or is part of the leadership, the official city leadership. Why did the council move from being advised about this to something like that so quickly? Well, like I said, I I don't know why they chose to go straight to asking for her resignation, but I can say that they felt strongly that this represented really inappropriate behavior, unbecoming of an elected official. Mayor Jason Beck said, you know, that elected officials need to be held to a higher standard. And so he pointed to the fact that, you know, had this man been properly registered at her house, Dunn's neighbors would have been notified. And by basically done being complicit in allowing this man to stay at her house without registering, it potentially put their neighbors in harm's way. Or at the very least, it took the neighbor's agency away to know what was going on in their community and act on it if they wanted. And so 
the mayor and the council members emphasis is this was inappropriate. You broke the public trust and you put the city in a bad light. Did the council or the mayor consult with the city attorney on any of this? I don't know if any of them individually did. I have to figure that that was going to be discussed in e-session. The other agenda items for their confidential meeting included discussing documents that were allowed to be private. I don't know if that was the police report. I kind of figure it probably was. So I don't know if they discussed that in the e-session. That's the difficulty about e-session, you know, is, is the, the more questions I ask to the council members, I mean, actually, no council members besides Councilman Brad Schaefer will even speak to me. And even with Councilman Schaefer, he's very skittish because, well, I think because he discussed these things in e-session and he doesn't want to get in trouble with what he can and can't say, which is, I think, what was so messy about having it in executive session to begin with is now you've put elected officials in this spot, or I guess they've put themselves in a spot where... I don't know if they know what they can and can't say publicly. You referenced the mayor feeling the need for a higher responsibility for elected officials. That sounds like an ethics policy. Does Peoria have one? The city of Peoria does have an ethics policy, and this was something that actually came up at a public meeting after the controversy came out and was reported in the news. Some residents came forward and were like, you know, what the heck? Like, this is chaos. We don't like that this is uh, being said about our city. Do you guys have an ethics policy? Can you guys figure one out if you don't? So I did a little digging and it finds out they do. They had an ethics policy that passed in 2016. And basically it lays out a process where an elected official, an appointed official, or a city employee can file a complaint if they believe that someone has acted in a way that is unethical. And from there, Three city council members, the mayor, the vice mayor, and a third council member are supposed to review that complaint. And then if they find it credible, send it to an independent ethics reviewer who will then ultimately figure out whether or not there was or was not a violation. And from there, they kick it back to the city council who can then say, you know, this is the course of corrective action we want you to take, or we're going to give you a censure, or you know, some sort of consequence. Although I will say there is no removing a council member laid out in the ethics policy. The process you just described sounds like a prolonged public process. That seems very different than the one the council wanted to pursue. So where does this leave the council with regard to the city's ethics policy? It's a good question too. And it is one I've asked the city and it is one that the city has still not responded to. I think you're probably catching a theme here that the city doesn't like to explain themselves very much right now. But they could come to me and say, you know, we felt like this wasn't really appropriate for the ethics process. I mean, I don't I don't know why it wouldn't be, but they could say something and they just simply aren't. And I don't know why they ignored their ethics policy. I question if they even knew about their ethics policy. The city has had so much turnover recently. You know, they have a new city manager, a new deputy city manager, a new assistant city manager, a new city clerk, a new city attorney. So I don't know. It's a question. So after all of that, Dunn refused to resign. So where do things stand with her at this point? Like I said, Dunn really believes that she has done nothing wrong. And she very strongly believes that the whole situation with the sex offender at her house is an excuse that she believes um, 
the mayor is using to target her and steal her council seat. She has basically told me she and the mayor have strong disagreements over LGBT issues. And, you know, I'm sure our local residents, whether you live in Peoria or not, have probably heard about the Peoria School Board and all of the controversy surrounding transgender bathroom policies. And Dunn has told me that basically she's had a lot of arguments with Beck over this and that she has tried to pass LGBT protection ordinances in the city that I think she thinks frustrated him. And she thinks that that is why he is trying to get her off of the council. In terms of, you know, having the sex offender at her house, she has said that she's going to host a community meeting with her constituents so that they can ask her anything they want. She can try to clarify whatever she needs to clarify But other than that, there's no sign that she's going to be stepping down. She has made a number of assertions regarding the mayor and his credibility on this issue. Do you have any sense of whether there's any verification for any of the claims that she has made about him? I have reached out to him and he has not responded multiple times. So I'm still waiting. I'm still very hopeful that he will reach out to me and that we can have a conversation. I think that reporting will be stronger when we understand from his perspective how things have unfolded. In regards to LGBT issues, I will say that in the campaign when he was running for mayor, we did reporting at The Republic about former employees of his at his company, Tier Tactical, talking about his bullying behavior, how he has, uh, you know, people described it to me as this other side of him where he would get very hostile, very aggressive, um, he would be degrading, and, you know, make xenophobic jokes, make homophobic jokes. And this was just part of the company culture. There was a recording that the Republic obtained throughout his mayoral campaign of him kind of grappling with transgender issues, sort of making light of it and, you know, sort of giggling at people's pronouns. So we know that much. But again, he hasn't spoken to us. Okay, Taylor, well, thank you for discussing all this with us. Obviously, the city could do a lot more to help clarify this situation, whether it's on their policy front or the specific allegations they have against the vice mayor. As you continue to cover the events in Peoria, where can listeners find you on social media? I am on X, uh, formerly known as Twitter, at TaylorSeely95. Seely is spelled S-E-E-L-Y. That is it for this week, Gaggle listeners. Have questions about today's episode or topics you'd like us to cover in the future? Send us a message at 602-444-0804 or a voice memo to thegaggle at arizonarepublic.com. That's one word all spelled out. This episode was edited and produced by Amanda Luberto. Script writing and research by myself News direction from Kathy Tulamello. Music comes from Universal Production Music. Never miss an episode of The Gaggle by subscribing to us wherever you listen. If you learned something new today, be sure to share this episode with a friend. You can also leave us a review and rate us five stars. You can follow The Gaggle on social media at AZC Podcasts. I'm at Ronald J. Hansen. That's H-A-N 
S-E-N. The Gaggle is an Arizona Republic and azcentral.com production. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you next week.